morning. Oh, hi. So, um, how's, how's your Thursday? Well, today's Wednesday, so my Thursday hasn't happened yet. That's what I'm asking. Yeah. That was a test for you. You passed. Okay. It's fine. God, what a week. Am I right? Mm-hmm. It's been slow for me. Unusually. Oh. Because summer is usually our busy, our busy time. Yeah, let's talk about that then. Tell me how how easy your week has been and enjoyable. Have you been able to get jump in your pool? Yep. Spent all day in the pool today. <laughs> How's that pool working out? Oh my gosh. It's fine. What's the what's the downside that someone wouldn't know about buying an above ground pool? I think the downside is um 100 percent mitigated by the fact that i work remotely now because the downside is just maintenance right and like every day i just go out there and i clean out some stuff for like 10 minutes i check the levels and that's pretty much it but i could imagine if i'm waking up going to work every day i'm not coming home and doing that It, it would be like a all right, let a me chore. check the pool on Saturday, and then I've got to do all this work to get it back into shape. But because I'm home, I just do it a little bit every day. Yeah. Yeah, it seems, I mean, I grew up with access to a pool. I mean, it definitely seems like a mental health boost. Yeah. I mean, today was the first day I've gotten in it since I put it up, yeah. outside of, like, the very first time I put it. I, I mean, probably a, a definite plus two. To your mental health. Sure. Minus one distress. I'm playing Disco Elysium again. Oh, really? Yeah. On the Switch? Yeah. Um, I'm just kind of poking around. Mm-hmm. I'm not, not really playing with the strategy. But I just wanted to jump back in. Does it still hold up? I mean, you know, it's not something that I really think a lot about. I mean, best game of all time. Maybe. Well, this actually brings me to something I wanted to run by you. What are you drinking, by the way? It's a uh, it's a Slurpee, basically. <laughs> I've never seen that. Co- I've put that it shade in a container red. so it stays cold. Well, it's from Dairy Queen. It's not from Seven Eleven. It's a Dairy Queen Slurpee. It is like radiation it, red. It gives you brain freeze immediately. immediately. It doesn't matter how many times you take a drink. You could take one drink after 30 minutes and you will get brain freeze immediately. But anyways, I have a new uh, standard for reviewing things, right? Okay. So let me get your opinion on this. No perfect scores. Don't exist. You cannot give something a perfect score until you've experienced it for a second time at least three years later. So, for example, because I feel like three is long enough to, like, because I feel like I could watch a movie and then two years later come back to that same movie and, like, I don't feel like enough time has passed. Like, I'm still more or less in the same place in my life. Right. Mm -hmm. But three years... I feel like is you've you've moved on to something else. And so if something still holds up after three years and you still think this is the perfect movie, 
then you can give it the extra half a star, right? Like Disco Elysium, perfect game, right? But you got to wait three years. I have to wait. Now, what's the extra? St- like, is it out of five, out of ten? Just whatever. It doesn't matter. You just cannot give it a perfect score, period. Mm-hmm. No matter what your scale is. Yeah, I, the, the one problem, well, yeah, I, I see people, I use Letterboxd a lot. Mm-hmm. I see people on there who are just like, you people give out five-star ratings way too easy. You know, they're yeah. like, there's not that many, like, if if it's out five stars, five-star movies that have been made. Like, you can't just have, like, three every year. Yeah. They're perfect, perfect. You know? Right. And so it got me thinking, because I really do enjoy logging what I see, making a list of what I've seen, ranking it. Not not to necessarily say this is better than that, but just for my own benefit. I mm-hmm. like looking back at my own list and being like, I don't even remember watching that movie and why did I love it so much? Like, Or, again, usually I, I rate, usually I'm very lenient early on. Uh-huh. I'll watch something and if it's like, yeah, that, was, that was entertaining. Three stars. Mm-hmm. Three and a half stars. When I look at it, I'm like, three stars means, like, I, I feel like I have to actively like it. Not have it be a passive, I didn't turn it off, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And that's kind of how I feel like I use the three and even the three and a half. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to get more strict on my middle. I don't give a lot of perfect, mm-hmm. but I'm way too... I got a flabby middle. Mm-hmm. I need to get that in shape. Yeah, I just feel like there's been a lot of stuff that maybe not necessarily stuff that that was like perfect, but there's been a lot of stuff that I've come back to years later and been like uh, underwhelmed a little bit. Yeah. <clears throat> um do you want to know the last film I gave five stars to? Um, There's yes. only one right answer to this. Okay. Give me a hint. Let me try and guess. Give me a hint what it is. Um, well, I'm looking for it right now. I'm just going by year. And, oh, boy. Well, what's that from again? Up when his wife dies. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god! Why'd you clip that? When did you? When did you clip that? For sad stories. (laughs) Okay, I. uh, Okay, I found it. And there's a lot of hints I can give you. Okay. So what what do you want first? We've got year. We've got other kind of. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm going to need something better than year. Something better. Yes. How am I supposed to guess what movie is just by the year? Okay. <clears throat> Here's your first hint. All right. Okay. Um, you've seen it. Okay. Foreign language. That should help you a lot because I don't think you watch a lot of foreign language movies. 
You know what the problem with this is? Is I don't remember a movie I watched two weeks ago. You're the one who wanted to play this game. I give up. What is it? What year? Oh, oh okay. Uh, Parasite. Yeah. Now, when did that come out? 2019. See? Have you watched it this year? Hmm. Not this year, but I will. See, you gotta take, well, okay. well, you gotta take it away. You gotta take right, one take, star away until you watch I'll take it again. The half star away <laughs> until I. But but we're at the three year. Right. So you so, have to watch it again. Okay. And see if it holds up. All right. All right. Um. Do you want to talk about this book? Ooh. Do you want to talk about the finals first? Sure. I think only one game has been played. Mm-hmm. And. Um, you know, I hate to be one of those guys, but you know what? I'm just a dumb sports guy. And it's like, I feel like whatever team wins the last game, that's what team I think is going to win the series. <laughs> um, and it's like ever since Boston won that second game, they've looked so bad. They've yeah. just completely fallen apart. Yeah. And, and I think I'm also not one of these people, but I do think they've gotten the worst of the calls. Mm-hmm. I haven't I haven't seen anything super yeah. egregious, but just I think the scales are tipping in favor of Golden State. And Golden State also some of their calls have have come in clutch situations. Yeah. Where again, if you're a mentally tougher team, you bounce back from it. Mm-hmm. But like was it last game or two games ago where it's like at, by the end of the game Jason Tatum was throwing up air balls. Yeah, that was last game. He had like five air balls. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you're like, this is not this is not what you want to see. Like your star player, like, yeah, get on my my shoulders. Pretty He's just bad. like, I don't know, guys. Here, watch this. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Draymond Green continues being Draymond Green. Yeah. I love that Jason Tatum refused to give him the ball. <laughs> and, and Jeremy Green is like yeah. walking right. after him. It's like... Through a fit. Yeah, yeah, but also this is like where where you're at. Mm-hmm. Like Boston can't respond on the court. She's going to be like, no, you can't have the ball. Right. You can't touch it. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to my side of the bench. You need to leave me alone. But yeah, it's like stuff like that where it's like, Draymond, what do you... You know what I mean? Yeah. Like what's motivating you in that moment? Yeah, Draymond just... You know, he's just a, a pest. Uh, but, yeah, so to me it seems like, uh, obviously, unless Boston pulls their shit together, Warriors are going to win. And it doesn't even, especially from the last game, you don't even need a special game out of uh, Steph. I mean, he had that one game, two, the two games ago, where he went, like, Super Saiyan, right? Mm-hmm. And just went crazy. Um. And that's kind of what I was thinking would have to be done for them to win the series. But, you know, nobody can do that for a full series. Uh, do you need to let Mabel out? No, she's fine. Um, uh, but then there's this game where they just, they you know, uh, the Celtics focus purely on Steph, and they pretty much shut him down. But then they just get beat by everybody else. Yeah, like the the threes by Clay Thompson at the end are particularly kind of like daggers. Like that would yeah. be hard to yeah. to um, overcome when Clay Thompson is just shooting lights out. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, Boston also just turned the ball over. Yes, way too much. That is, yeah, that's and it's, like their big Achilles heel. Oh, it's crazy. So I just feel like if they could slow down, play fundamental basketball, then they'd be in much better position. I think they'd have a shot at the series, but based on how they've been playing lately, I I feel like Golden State will. I don't know. I feel like Golden State can sometimes coast too. Like I could see For Golden sure. State yeah. losing this. I mean, next look, game. they got beat by fifty points in a playoff game this season. Right. This, this season, right? Like so, something tells me, like a coast game is coming for Golden State. Yeah, and that Boston being home again mm-hmm. will step up. But Game Seven will be a blowout. Yeah, if it gets there, I think Golden State's gonna trounce them. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, I would not be surprised if the Warriors win in Boston, but who knows? How many um, cars do you think are going to get flipped <laughs> at that game? <laughs> over under, do an over under bet. Uh, I'll say five. Five cars mm-hmm. flipped. <laughs> I think that's a good. In a in a loss, five. If a win, seven. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so we read a book. Well, uh, uh, novella, Mm -hmm. right? It's only, so let me ask you this. You read it on Kindle or on whatever e-reader you have? Yeah, the Kindle. When I was looking on Amazon, this thing says it's 90 pages, correct? Mm -hmm. Like a hundred-ish pages. Looking at Wikipedia, now obviously the page thing is like relative, right? Who knows? Depends on like font size, sizes of the pages, blah, blah, blah. On Wikipedia, it says it's 180 pages long, which is double, obviously, what Amazon is saying. Anyways, I bring that up because I do have a a deeper point about that later on that we'll talk about. But this book is called uh, The Driver's Seat by Muriel Spark. And you uh, saw someone recommending it on Twitter. Mm-hmm. What were they saying about it specifically? It was just they, it was like, this is a great story. They just said, finally got around to this and wish I'd read it earlier. Like one of those types of things. Mm-hmm. Do you know anything about Muriel Spark or have you read anything else by her? Now I do a little bit. She's Scottish, mm-hmm. and she was a. She's known as like a Catholic writer in the way that Flannery O'Connor mm-hmm. is known as well, which makes sense. This is the first Spark I've ever read, Muriel Spark, but I've read, I think, all of Flannery O'Connor, and. There, there were some kind of similar yeah. ideas that I had. <clears throat> okay. Uh, I'm Did cool. I get all that right? Did you? Do you know about her? Do I don't know, know her? anything about her. Never so heard of her. I could be wrong. Yeah, I don't know anything about her. Uh, she is Scottish. I know that. Uh, I wanted to read from the Wikipedia. So, The Driver's Seat is a novella by Muriel Spark, published in 1970. It was advertised as a metaphysical shocker. Is in the psychological thriller genre. So 
going into the story, did you know anything about what the story was going to be, or you just started reading it? I had no idea. Okay. Uh, dealing with themes of alienation, isolation, and loss of spiritual values. It was made into a film in 1974 starring Elizabeth Taylor and featuring Andy Warhol. <laughs> in the U.S., the film was named Identikit. Spark described it as one of her favorite novels. The driver's seat was on... Nobody cares about that. In 2015, adapted stage play. Plot summary. Oh, okay. This is the first thing I wanted to get to. What is this... What is the main woman's name? I wanted to start there, too. L-I-S-E. I, for simplicity, because I feel like this is not it, uh-huh. I just said Liz. Liz. See, that's what I tried to do, but every time I saw it, my instinctually, I would say lies. Because sure it's, it's like L-I-S-E. Lisa. Lisa. Lise. Huh? Lise. Lise. Lease. 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 Why are so Lease. many people saying it? It's from some how to how to pronounce.com. I don't like it. Lease. Lease works in an accountancy. Lease works in an in an accountancy. Is that the word? Accountancy firm somewhere in northern Europe, probably Denmark. Location is not explicitly specified. Spark described the driver's seat as a why done it? And she uses the term in the novel. This is because in the novel's third chapter, it is revealed that Lise will be murdered. Hence, Sparks' novel is an examination, not of what events take place, but why they do. It is eventually revealed that Lise has suffered years of illness. She behaves erratically and often confrontationally and wears garish clothing. Lise travels to a South European city probably Rome, ostensibly to meet her illusory boyfriend. Uh, so that is what the story is about. Did you want to get into some... So I'll say that the, 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 the book is written in such, I felt like, an erratic way that I just started taking notes because I was like, let me just follow along with this and make sure I'm like getting everything down. And, uh, cause it, it's just, it caught me off guard. So <clears throat> do you want to just talk about like some big themes or do you want to go through? Cause I have just like a quick sort of chapter, chapter by chapter breakdowns, obviously a short, short book. So we can kind of fly through some of these or do you want to do like big picture stuff first? Yeah, we can go, Point by point, and then okay. pull out. So, in chapter one, we meet Lise, who is an office worker. Uh, and during that introduction, you get the. Uh, I think it might have been. I think it might have been explicitly mentioned that she had a breakdown before, right? It's not explicit, but there's a there's a reference yeah. to like. Something happened. And yeah, it seems like she's maybe going through something again and her boss or her coworker, someone is like, just go take a, take a break, take a vacation. Exactly. Um, but the book, so the book opens with this exchange between her and, um, a saleswoman and she's trying on clothes. Uh, and then the, the saleswoman mentions 
that the dress she's trying on is made out of stain resistant fabric and she just loses it. And <laughs> my first impression reading that was like, I didn't know. So I didn't know anything going into the book and no idea it was written by some, someone who I didn't by a Scottish lady didn't know the book t- took place in like uh, what the Wikipedia says, Denmark, but somewhere in Europe. Mm-hmm. And so I was just like, I feel like that might play into like some of the confusion that I feel. There's two things like for it was written in the 70s and it's taking place in the foreign country. So I feel like I might be missing some stuff because like contextually, obviously there's stuff you miss Um, because I have no frame of reference for like what it was like in the 70s, you know? <laughs> so like some stuff like mannerisms and interactions, I feel like sometimes are like, is this just how people acted back then? You know what I mean? I do like that you treat the 70s as, as like a paleolithic age. Well, I wasn't born yet. Listen, I don't know what the 70s were all about. Dinosaurs were wandering around and, you know, what species were still alive. So anyway, she gets upset about this because she thinks it's implying that she could be a sloppy eater. Right? That's what she says. Well, why do you think she got upset about it then? Well, I think on the one, so for me, I know that we said we're going to go plot by, you know, focus on the plot first. But for me, I feel like there's two things happening in the book, right? Number one Uh is like the actual actions chronologically that are happening. And you have her like freak out and say like, you, I'm offended that you would think that I would need something like this that I'm missing. On the other side is the psychological piece. And so underneath that, there could be a real confrontation with the idea that she's planning on being murdered in this dress. You know? So Hmm. by by being stain resistant, she's now having to think about her own blood, like running off of it. Mm -hmm. And she can't confront that right now. Mm -hmm. So that's the, that's the clash. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then the chapter, so after that, she goes to a different department store. She gets a different set of clothes that are uh, clashing. Saleswoman rem- kind of tries to, uh, she points it out, basically. It's like, dude, none of these colors go together. She doesn't care. She wears it. She buys it. She goes to get a taxi, right? And then another woman uh, on the street just kind of like points out how ugly her clothes are and starts laughing in her face and she gets in a taxi and drives off the and the sales person also like mocks her oh right as she's leaving right and she doesn't realize that uh lease can still hear her her. uh and so the chapter ends like i said with the woman laughing here there's uh, that in particular there's a couple well i guess all of the other interactions but i guess that's probably the first one where I, where I definitely had the thought of like, is this actually happening or is she just like, I guess for, for me, the, the thing I was thinking about throughout the whole thing is like, how much of this is happening, happening, right? And how much of it is filtered through her mindset, 
right? Is there even a woman on the street talking to her about her clothes, period, let alone making fun of her, right? Or is uh, some woman asking about her clothes and she's interpreting it as her making fun of her clothes? You know what I mean? Um, Yeah, it's easier when you have a person narrating their story because then you could be like, oh, they're an unreliable narrator, so I can't believe what they say. Mm -hmm. This book is not written as narration from Lise. Right. It is... It's like third person, third right? person account. So there, there could be a reflection of her broken psyche, you know, being being described. Yeah. But I did take the interactions to be pretty close to the truth. Um. Yep. Yeah. Okay, chapter two opens with a description of Lise, you know, her physical characteristics, and then it goes through her interactions when she's checking in at the um, airport, and again, they they fall, for me, they fell in the sort of same category of like, I don't, it's like a little out of the ordinary, like not so much that I'm like, I guess really thinking anything about it, but they are a little off, and... um, kind of making me think like I, this something's like something's not right you have um there's i highlighted two two parts in this the first one was the first introduction that something not right right is going to happen you get some like it's something like and this person would later uh, attest to this when the police interviewed them or something right so in this one it's like the 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 author describes lease who by the description, is not particularly good-looking. Um, but in talking about her, they say her nose is short and wider than it, than it will look in the likeness constructed partly by the method of identikit, partly by actual photography, soon to be published in the newspapers of four languages. Mm-hmm. So you immediately have in there like this kind of little peek ahead, and this style of writing is something that I wish I could do. Mm. I love it so much where you are following a character and especially if the character is kind of, you know, so you have Muriel Spark and on the other side you do have like Flannery O'Connor whose characters can be more straightforward, not as kind of like mentally fractured as Lee's. Or you even have, like, the writings of um, J.D. Salinger. Right. I would say. And you just are following these characters, feel a bit odd, and then all of a sudden one little detail gets thrown in that kind of changes your perspective. Pulls you out, Mm -hmm. has you anticipate something or start trying to figure it out, and she does that there, which I love. And then... um, have we gotten to the part where she's at the airport yet? No. Okay. No. So that's basically chapter two. Like you said, we get a couple of the references to like, yeah, she, this is how she'll be identified. Blah blah. blah this person is that. Uh, <clears throat> so at this point, you know something's going to happen. Don't know what it is. Um. So this is in chapter two, though. I will say, just she's at the um airport uh-huh. here, and um she's walking down the 
hallway, basically. She mm-hmm. has her passport and everything. And uh, Muriel Spark writes, and it is almost as if satisfied that she has successfully registered the fact of her presence at the airport among the July thousands there. She has fulfilled a small item of a greater purpose. She goes to the immigration official, joins the queue, and submits her passport. Again, I just love the little peek into what is actually happening. Mm. How much of this is she orchestrating? And Mm, so here mm. you have her like making herself known and then feeling satisfied that she has done that, that she's made herself known to these people. Mm -hmm. So at this point, I immediately thought, is she going to like, is this like a, what was this? A Cooper. What's his? E.B. Cooper? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like an E.B. Cooper thing where she's like trying to get noticed as like, oh, that lady in the crazy get up. Yeah, I noticed her and she walked this way Mm -hmm. and she's trying to like lay out an expectation and then somehow like disappear or fake her death or something like that. Right. I'm already starting to anticipate the bigger picture there. Yeah. And then it's also grounded in lease. It's not artificial. It's, you know, Muriel Spark hasn't betrayed her story in any way. Mm-hmm. You're still in Lise's experience trying to figure it out. And I love that Muriel Spark balances that where she doesn't jump ahead narratively and like peekaboo and then jump back. She does it all within the framework of the story to that point and of the central character. She still finds a way to tease this ending, this surprise twist ending. Right. And so that kind of, um, that, so as I was reading it, like I said, you know something's going to happen. So I, f- I finished chapter two, hop over to my notes app, and I, I wrote down, um, uh, I wanted to know what you thought. I guess you, and you kind of answered it, but uh, so at the end of chapter two, it's kind of, do you have the feeling that Lise is going to be the, uh, like the victim in the story or the perpetrator, right? Because you know something is going to happen. Uh, but is it going to be caused by lease or happen to lease, I guess, is what I was kind of trying to figure out. And I don't, I, at the end of chapter two, I don't think I had any idea. It's just kind of like, I probably could have, I was probably leaning more towards she'll be the victim, but it could have swung either way, right? I was a little... Um I don't know by the end of chapter two, but definitely by that passage, mm-hmm. I was like, we're in E.B. Cooper land. Like, this is some heist. This is some kind of, like, lady who's had enough, mm-hmm. and she's crafted this grand, you know, finale, like, disappearing act. Yeah. And I ended up not being too wrong. Yeah. But I was wrong into the nature of the disappearance that she was right. crafting. Uh, yeah. So finish chapter two, write that down in my notes, start chapter three and chapter three immediately starts. She will be found tomorrow morning dead from multiple stab wounds. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, <laughs> question answered. That didn't take a long. I was wondering why you put LOL. In the <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, 
so yeah, so that's how the chapter opens. Uh, and then we go to she's on her flight, right? She gets on the plane. She sits down between two men, I think. Um, she sits down next to one. And then another, and then one, another comes one comes and sits down. And then the one she sat down next to, like, gets a good look at her face or something, like, panics, panics. for whatever reason. We don't know. And gets up and finds a different seat. Um, and then she goes on to have this totally insane conversation with the guy Bill. who stays there, Bill, who is some sort of... Uh, Macro... Yeah, he biotics? calls it macrobiotics. He, he's he like a almost like a cult figure is the feeling I got, but all about yeah, like he's got like philosophy on yin and yang, and like these f- rice is good food for you. That's rice yang. is yang. yang. Yeah, everything else that's bad is, is yin. yin. Yeah, it's <laughs> just so bizarre. Um, but the but the 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 this for me was the was the. I guess this kind of start of the like weirdness that I don't like mm. and that I did not like. And she has this conversation with Bill where they're just like talking past each other the entire time, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like occasionally you'll get, one of them will actually respond to the other. Yep. Right. But for the most part, it's just Bill is talking about his macrobiotic stuff, which doesn't make any sense. And Lise is talking about something completely unrelated, which also doesn't make sense. And it's just kind of like, what is this? And so it just, it, I just don't like that. And knowing how the story ends now and as soon as it started, I had the feeling that, you know, this is, she's like mentally ill. Something is wrong. Um, and this is more or less probably just a reflection of like her being mentally ill and like how she's processing things. Um, not enjoyable to read. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I like, I don't, I don't, I'm not interested in like living in a schizophrenic headspace, (laughs) you know, like I get that maybe it's good writing and that it takes a lot of skill to do that. I don't like reading it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's, it it definitely is one of those things that there's a lot in film and books that people love and I hear all the time people are like oh I was laughing and laughing and then I watch or read the thing I'm like that wasn't funny like I don't know how to find that funny yeah and so there there are things I think certain people are just built to like and then other things that will just rub people the wrong way and there's sometimes there is no explanation mm-hmm. I enjoyed that I, I did enjoy that kind of double speak and on a fundamental level given my recent history as well I've become a big believer in the limitations of human speech to actually convey true meaning mm-hmm. that too many times I feel like I've been in conversations where it's like, I am saying a, and the person responds like F and I'm like, yeah, no. Right. Hey, can we, can we just, so, and Bill is as bonkers as lease. Yeah, and I guess the question is kind of like I was saying before with the woman who's laughing at her clothes. 
And I guess a, a larger question too is like, are any of these people real? You know, that was what I kept asking myself because you know, at you know, uh, that you know, people are going back and being interrogated, asked questions, blah blah. blah. So obviously, you're assuming some of these people are real, but a lot of times I just found myself thinking, like, is this even a real interaction? Right? It, obviously, we know Bill is a real person. Did they even talk at all on right, the airplane? Bill just sitting there you know quietly. I mean? Exactly. This is in all her in her head. head. Yeah. Having a conversation. Right. I, and it's like, it could be. Yeah. I still think that this universe, to, to me, I then start questioning how much of the universe is indicted by the actions of this character. Is this character just reflecting kind of the absurdity of the world that they live in? Or are they truly absurd in a normal world? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so chapter four starts with Lise checking into her hotel. Uh, oh, yeah. Part of that. So this was the other thing that threw me off. Part of that checking in. And again, this is like an international thing, right? I'm a dumb American. So this doesn't make sense to me. Obviously, this would make sense to someone that lives in Denmark or in Europe in a country that's surrounded by other countries that all speak different languages. But during this whole check-in passage, it's like multiple language languages are being thrown around. You you never know what nationality Lisa is. You never know like what language she actually speaks, I guess. There seems to be like three or four different ones that she seems to cycle through throughout the story. Again, don't know if she's actually doing that or if she just thinks she is, you know. Um but so it was kind of like starting to just like come apart for me, which, you know, I think is the point, obviously. Uh, but it just was like, again, throwing me off. Uh, and then the other thing I noticed. So I guess I'll get to this point then. Like I was saying, <laughs> Amazon says the book is 90 pages long. The Wikipedia says it's 100 pages long. Reading it, I felt like I was missing passages of the book as I'm reading it. And... It totally makes sense for the type of story that she's trying to tell that it feels that way. I'm still not convinced that there's something wrong with the Kindle edition of this mm-hmm. book and I'm just missing things. And there are some typos. There are. There's like a lot of typos, right? And again, I don't know if that's on purpose because like some of the typos are just straight up like the wrong word is being used, but it's like, it's like a, I can, it has something to do with there's evidence is in there. I should have marked it at some point, <laughs> but evidence is used for something that it should not be used for, but it's like visually close to the word that it should be using. You know what I mean? I don't know. It was, it's, it's weird. Uh, a lot of typos. Okay. So Lise then meets a woman outside of the hotel named Mrs. Friedka. They agree to share a cab and go downtown. Lisa leaves her passport in the cab, apparently on purpose. So, again, she's, like, leaving a, a trail, apparently. She sticks it in the Right. Seat, she very like purposefully, yeah. Uh, she, like, it makes Friedka, like, move so she yes. can bury it. Yeah. Uh, and then they go shopping and buy a bunch of knickknacks or whatever. Slippers and scarves and... An envelope opener. A pen knife, knife right. Uh... And then at some point, Miss Friedka gets locked inside. So this is another thing. <laughs> she gets locked inside the bathroom. Um, 
Lise apparently is screaming for her and she's not <laughs> responding at all. People start gathering around. So Lise just leaves and goes somewhere else. And, and start shopping. And start shopping, right. And then eventually Friedka comes back and is just like, yeah, I just fell asleep. <laughs> it's like, <"What>? okay. <laughs> now, at that point, if you ever wanted to, you know, kind of track in my reading of this, where it could shift into a delusion of hers, mm-hmm. I would say this is the this is the point, right? Because that makes absolutely no sense at all. Miss Mrs. Freika says that she fell asleep, right? And then from there, she misplaces everything. She mm-hmm. misplaces her slippers. She misplaces, or she gives Lise the penknife, and. She stays with Lise a little bit longer, but ultimately she's just whisked away and disappears. And we never right. hear from her again. So this is where I would say like there there's a lot of reference to like how much they were walking. They were at the mall before it opened and they did laps around mm-hmm. and it kind of um she she writes in a way to make it sound like Miss Friedke is like losing track of what they're even doing because mm-hmm. they're supposedly looking for uh, Lisa's boyfriend, right? But they, they well, that's up, the yeah, and that's the whole. She's there to meet a, a guy. They go in the mall. They're they're up at the top of the mall. They're walking around. They go all the way down. Miss Mrs. Friedke says she wants to buy slippers. They go all the way back up for her nephew. For her nephew. Right. And I feel like that could be the, you know, like she is physically exhausted. You know what I mean? If she's going to have a heart attack, it would be after all of that. Yeah. And then pretty much after that, they just kind of leave them all. Yeah. And the only thing that happens is Mrs. Freakus thinks that she misplaced everything. Mm-hmm. But it's all found in, you know, Lee says it all. So, yeah. Uh, okay, so that so I'm a little fuzzy on the transition from chapter four to five because we started reading this yesterday on Monday, and last night I was like, "All right, I need to finish this thing," <laughs> and I was I was on I had just I'd finished chapter four and I was like going to bed and I was like, "All right, let me try and get through chapter five real quick." And I was laying in bed reading chapter five and I got through a couple pages and I started dozing <laughs> off and I was going to try and power through it. I was like, you know, what? I know if I power through it, I'm not going to remember anything at all about this chapter. So I just went to bed. Um, but so chapter five, at, at the beginning of chapter five, she's somehow like walking around the streets right in the middle. And there's like this large student protest going on, tear gas flying around, right? Yeah, well, it starts with, so literally chapter five starts, it is in my mind, says Mrs. Freake, it is in my mind, and I can't think of anything else, that you and my nephew are meant for one another. Right. As sure as anything, my dear, you are the person for my nephew. That, to me, does, could speak to your idea of a projection here. That now, Miss Friedke is just all on Lisa's side, like... Telling like her, in her mind, you mean? Right, telling her everything because her nephew is the guy. Because her nephew is the guy, right? So, yeah, and then exactly, they're out walking the streets, 
Um, and then they get caught up in a demonstration. Yeah, student protest. Tear gas flying around. She gets pulled into a garage, right? Like a mechanic's garage. Or a mechanic shop. So they all kind of run in there. Mm -hmm. And she opens a car door and hides in the car. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's where she meets a guy named Carlo. And then when she's introducing herself to Carlo, she kind of, um, not kind of, she just takes... Mrs. Friedka's story, right? Mm-hmm. Because Miss Friedka, uh, in the last chapter, is talking about how she's a widow. Her husband died like 14 years ago or something. Uh, and to Friedka, she took Bill's story, kind of. Right. So Bill's her boyfriend and all yeah. that. And so with Carlo, she's telling Carlo that she's the widow, right? Claiming that she had a, her husband died some years ago, um, which is interesting. Uh, and then, so Carlo offers to give her a ride back to the hotel. Eventually, Lise, they're in the car. Eventually, Lise starts to think that she's being propositioned by Carlo. Yeah, there's a there's a moment in the office where she kind of says something that could be flirtatious. Right. And she injured her ankle. So she has her leg up. And mm-hmm. Carlo's in, right. in his office. Mm-hmm. And Carlo then kind of starts taking a little more of a start seeing her as a potential sexual, you know, right. Whatever Carlo has in his mind, which we soon find out is not, you know, a, he's not worried about her mutually agreeing to. Well, again though, like, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, Carlo's not her type. Uh, he doesn't back off. So she sticks her head out of the car, starts screaming for help. And then apparently he just goes for it, uh, forces, tries to force away on her. He but, drives her to a like a remote road. Right. But she gets out somehow, steals the car somehow. Well, she runs out, runs towards a cottage, uh huh, screaming. He runs out of the car to get her. Mm-hmm. And then she, you know, shakes him off, runs back to the car and then drives away. Right. Threatens to call the police and ruin his family. Oh, and then at some point, I guess earlier in the interaction, he was talking about how he caught his wife talking to another guy on the phone. Her second cousin. <laughs> right. So it's like... He goes to... And again, the, 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 um, the forcing themselves on lease is the thing that comes up basically with every guy in the story. So it's like, how, you know, what is true here? You know, right? Like, and again, the 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 whole inner, the, the whole thing doesn't make any sense to me. Like, they go to a remote cottage. She gets out and runs away, and then he gets out and chases after her, and then she just runs back to the car <laughs> and takes off. You know what I mean? It just is like it's so scatterbrained, which again makes sense. Uh, I wrote down another. So this also reminded me of Kurt Vonnegut's son has a book about his he did a a bunch of drugs and he had like a schizophrenic meltdown mm-hmm. and he wrote an autobiography about it called Eden Express and it just i just got similar vibes from that which i also didn't enjoy reading because it just is stressful yeah um but like same very similar i felt like yeah it, it's funny that i read this book this time cuz i literally 
I forgot which show I was watching, but I was literally just watching a character who has some kind of disassociative, you know, disorder relationship with the world. Mm -hmm. And I've encountered this a few times in my job. I had somebody completely disassociate in my office. Like, Mm -hmm. totally not there. And I've always thought, like, you, you want to believe that the human mind is capable of, like, self-repair or whatever to the point that if you got them in a safe, still environment and you could get them to, like, quietly express themselves, that they they would be able to understand the disassociation. Right. But you realize, like, no, that's not it. Bill, in this, um, in this book later on, says, you know, he blames the chemistry. It's all chemistry, you know? Right. It's the food you're eating. It's the food you're eating. Right. You're you not ha- in control. You have to orgasm once a day. <laughs> yeah. Tw- or you got to do twice the next day and that'll right. give you indigestion. Yeah. But but it's, it is that idea that, like, we're not in control. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We only have the perception of, of control. And, you know, for her or, you know, for anybody experiencing that, it's, it's not even that, like, if you just get them into a safe place or give them what they want that it will that their brain will start to identify reality it's like nope it, mm-hmm. it won't ever happen yeah you know what i mean uh so she takes the stolen car to the thompson hotel right which is friedko's hotel so no she's saying that he she goes She's to the, staying at the Metropole, I thought. The Metropole. Or do I have that reverse? There's two hotels in the book, yeah, the, the Thompson, Thompson Hotel and the Metropole Hotel, right? Yeah, I think you're right. I think that first. Uh, so she goes there and then goes into the bathroom and starts labeling all the gifts that she, I guess, stole from Friedka with lipstick for the people that she's going to be giving them to, I guess. Right. She parks the car, walks in to the hotel. Right, and then she leaves the bathroom. She thinks she sees Bill, right? It's not Bill, and then she just leaves. She sees the old man. Who was the old man? I thought the old man the was sheik. Bill. That's where all oh, the that's sheik right. That's right. stuff gets introduced. Yeah. And you have this this further conversation of a coup. Yeah. People are losing money. You have an elderly man who turns out to also be linked to Friedka. Mrs. Frika, mm-hmm. because Mrs. Frika says that she's going to a villa, you know, or cab- somebody bought this cabin in the, they're having a family get together. Mm-hmm. And this old man is from that, that villa cabin or whatever. Yeah. And he got called, called down to the hotel by a politician who needed his help with something because he's a rich, influential man. And then... The old man got word from that politician that like a coup happened and the guy's like on the run basically. Mm -hmm. And then he, so Lise tries to get him to go with her. She's like, I'm going to take you. You need to come with me, come to my car. And he starts talking about going big game hunting. That's right. with, With the sheik and how, what a bad shot the sheik is. And as soon as he starts talking about killing animals, uh, Lise 
is like, you're not my type of man. That's right. You're, 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 you're wrong. So she leaves. And then that's when she finds out that Carlo came and got the car back and drove off without her. And she doesn't have a car. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. So then chapter six opens with her getting back to the Metropole. That's right. She takes the taxi back. And then that's when she sees Bill, who's been waiting for her uh, for the past two and a half hours. Um, they start having their, I guess Bill starts having his macrobiotics conversation again. Mm. Starts talking to her about, he knows a, a family in town who's all about macrobiotics and they should go have dinner with them. Uh, so they get in Bill's car and start driving to the house. Lise gets distracted by a pavilion. Am I? Do I remember that correctly? They're almost at the house. She makes him turn onto turn a side road. Onto a side road. But there's no like explicit re- reason given, right? And then wants to go to the pavilion. But remember, she marked earlier in the story. She laid out the map on her bed yeah. mm-hmm. and marked this spot, which turned out to be the pavilion. Right. So they pull over at the pavilion. Uh, and there's a bunch of teenagers around. Uh, and then you get the, uh, there's another moment in the book where they say, you know, this is where her body will be found in a couple hours. So you're thinking, oh, Bill's going to kill her, I guess. Uh, but they get out of the car. <laughs> oh, and this was the one thing that actually struck me as like <laughs> funny. Right, like lucid, like we've, we've, like this makes sense. You know what I mean? Uh, they get out of the car. I can't know. I don't know how to look at my notes now. But, anyways, they get out of the car, and Lise says, So uh, obviously, Bill's all about the macrobiotics, loves rice. He's got a big bag of, bag of rice. Well, when with he first him. spots her, when she goes back to her hotel, she makes a point to be like, he jumps up and like, Spills rice everywhere. Right. As he runs to her, there's just like a trail of rice. Right. So they get out of the car and Lee says something like, uh, did you lock your doors? Aren't you worried about your, are you, aren't you worried about the right? Did you take care of the rice? And Bill just says, who do you think is going to steal a bag of rice? (laughs) Well, he goes, they don't know about it yet. You know what I mean? Like in his mind, he's like, listen, you might have a point in two months when everybody's on macrobiotics and they want the rice, but yeah, who's going to steal a bag of rice? Nobody. Nobody knows about it yet. So they start working their way around the pavilion, right? And then it becomes this like weird escalated, uh, he tries to rape her. He tries to rape her, but again, it's like just because of the way it's written, you just have no idea what's going on. You know what I mean? Like it, it. I don't know. It just is. There's something that's so off about it, and he starts. He he tries to rape her, I guess. Oh, that's right. He because he starts getting upset about his levels all, and all that, and he has the orgasm. Yes, the orgasm blah, right? And and for a second, she's like going along with it almost. And I guess you eventually you realize because her plan is to like get murdered. She's uh, trying to see if it could work right, right. And it. then she's like, "Oh, this, this isn't is right. Not- You're not my type." And she 
and th- she starts screaming for help. This she guy's trying to steal bag. my purse. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so she doesn't say he's trying to rape me. He's trying to exactly. steal my purse. So the teenagers come over and, and get and get him off. And she, like, and then there's actually this, I think the only moment where it, like, kind of explicitly um, hints towards, like, how unstable she is, which is when... The teenagers come over. They're talking about, we're going to call the police. Just, you're safe. Don't go anywhere. We're going to call the police. And then it some, says something like, her demeanor changed abruptly. And she became, like, eerily calm. She's like, I'm going to get my... She's, she's like, my I'm going to get my own police. And she just walks away. Um, and then the police show up. Arrest Bill, which ultimately um, exonerates him from Lisa's death because Mm -hmm. he's in prison when it happens. Chapter 7 opens with Lisa back at the Thompson Hotel, right? The Friedka Hotel. And that's where she sees the man from the airplane who got up and left. And it turns out he is Friedka's nephew, who they've been talking about. He's also... He was at, so uh, uh, apparently when Lise had her previous breakdown, she went to like a psych ward, right? And this guy was also at that psych ward. And so that's where he recognized her from. What? Yeah. I mean, I guess it could be the same. Because he knows, she knows who he is. Yeah. I almost took it as like two broken people identifying each other. But 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 you're right on a practical. But see, like I was comfortable reading this as both like dream, you know, kind of. I'll talk about it in a little bit, but almost like philosophical level, yeah, you know, rationale and real world rationale. So I was I was more comfortable like floating in and out of that of being like, why did he panic so much? Because he recognized in her, he recognizes the crazy. That, that that there's this pull, there's this, and he doesn't know why. He doesn't, he doesn't, I mean, he makes a point to be like, I, I've never seen her before in my life. Right. He says it a few times. Now, that could still be true in that he never saw her, but she saw him. You know what I mean? Like, it could definitely right. be that she was, while she was there or whatever. And it seems to overlap if they both are flying out of the same place, you know? But he's definitely been in some sort of institution before a hundred percent for attacking women. Yes. With a knife. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, so then they go to the pavilion and he kills her. <laughs> well, <laughs> the end. well, no, see, see, no, they go to the pavilion. Well, and, and she kind of orchestrates the whole thing. She, she, or, she identifies in him that he has always wanted to kill mm-hmm. a woman. And leads him to the act, explaining how to do it, how she wants it done, mm-hmm. um, where to tie her up, all the things. Where to that stab her, how to how to how do to the stabbing. <laughs> yeah. And all the things she bought come into play. Right. And as soon as he goes to do it, she starts screaming. Mm-hmm. And uh Muriel Sparks says she basically realizes the final finality of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, he kills her. He's arrest, arrested almost immediately. Right. 
And it kind of ends on him just kind of muttering that she wanted him to do that. Right. Yeah. So to the question of is she the victim or the perpetrator, the answer is she's kind of both. I mean, again, this is one of those things for me that's like, completely removed i like the construct i like putting all the pieces together i just did not like reading it Mm -hmm. and well and to that point too when because you asked me or you said that you really like the way that she writes and i agree in that you know it's very to the point like it's very succinct right And it is like, you know, there, there's like, she she describes the world around, around them. You know, she describes the dress, all these different things, but it's not eating up like pages and pages, you know, and it is very to the point. I do like that. That is like the type of writing that I love, but I just really didn't like the, the dialogue and the like speaking past one another. And even to that point, you mentioned catcher in the right earlier to me, that's like, you know, example one, a of, of writing like a mentally unstable person in a way that's still like enjoyable to read. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? <clears throat> but it's still clear. I guess it's not clear. Cause the kind of the whole point of the book is like, Oh, you realize he was a crazy person all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it just you know, it's just one of those things. It's just like, man, this—it's just such an unpleasant headspace to be in. I it feel is, like. it is, and I. <clears throat> so, it made me think of. I think it was a short story that got you to read as well, and I think we talked about it on the podcast, uh, "The Swimmer" by John Cheever. Right. Do you remember that story? Yeah, <clears throat> I remember like the 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 broad strokes of it. Just a man going S- home, swimming in, but swimming in through pools. yeah his neighborhood pools, yeah ba- backyard pools, <clears throat> and out of that spins this really dark mm-hmm. kind of twisted psychological portrait of this person. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so yeah, it made me think of of the swimmer by by John Cheever. Let me pull up. Um, Because I think there's another book I wanted to mention. Um, A Good Man is Hard to Find by Flannery O'Connor. Right. That's the one about the guy that kills the family. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah. that's Yeah, that story is great. Yeah. Obviously, it's like a classic. Right. And and told much more straightforwardly. Almost. Oh, yeah. Almost scarily, like without yeah. flourish. Mm-hmm. Just um, so, yeah. I said about the driver's seat. The story is either an unreliable description of a mentally ill woman's descent into insanity, or a philosophical fiction novella, um, like Camus' *The Stranger*. Have you ever read that? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I remember reading *The Stranger* for the first time. And early on, I had, like, ideas of, like, I'm going to be a philosophy major. Mm-hmm. And uh, I read Kim, Who's a Stranger. I was like, I don't get it. Um, 
Right. And it's because it, it like tells a story, but in the story, it's also, you know, pushing on these philosophical ideas. Right. Mm. And I think what I like, like I then ultimately was not a philosophy major. Can't cut it too dumb, Mm -hmm. too stupid. Um, but I like that idea. And so in the, in the kind of any of the writing that I attempted just to, you know, more, more for myself, like I'm, I'm glad that I, I've written what I've written, even though using your new rating <laughs> system, uh-huh. absolutely none of them would uh-huh. hold up to be even pro- probably readable. Right. Um, but one of them that I, that I really wanted to figure out was just like writing a normal interaction, like a meet cute, but it's revealed that the man is like a mentally ill mm-hmm. person. Right. And has yeah, designs yeah. Mm-hmm. for this new woman that he just, he wasn't looking for. He wasn't ready, you know, and mm-hmm. you think he's not ready. Oh, because he just got out of a relationship and, it's just the timing is off, but it's like the timing is off because he wasn't ready, but it's a murderous relationship. Right. Yeah. And just that, like, it is so, it's, it's so like high school and it's so simple. Mm -hmm. Right. But in the right hands, that simple concept can take on a much deeper, stranger meaning and feeling and Muriel spark definitely gave it that depth of just like you said putting you in a headspace that's not enjoyable yeah it's fractured it's scattered she's mean and nasty and then crying and Mm. you know vacillating between these emotions and you're not clear what's going on um but I, but I like that. I, I kind of put that all in like a genre that I wish I could execute. Mm-hmm. But when I write, it really does feel like, oh, yeah, you had that one idea, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. That's kind of my one idea. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I've been thinking about this. I don't know when I rewatched it. I, I don't think I even rewatched it soon enough. But there's a, there's a point in Forrest Gump where uh-huh. he's – Speaking at Jenny's grave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is that um, what he sounds like? Yeah. <laughs> Jenny. Yeah. Yeah, no. No, that's not. <laughs> it's You're been a while wrong. since I've seen Forrest Gump. <laughs> There's a scene at the end where he's like talking about whether we all have a destiny or whether we're all just floating on the wind. Mm-hmm. He's like, maybe it's both. Maybe both are happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. I remember first watching them being like, damn, Forrest, you're right, maybe both. Now I'm like, <laughs> Forrest, don't puss out. <laughs> yeah. Answer the question, Forrest. <laughs> but in this situation, I, I would pull Forrest Gump. It's like, is this just a strict, you know, kind of, uh, you know, narrative of a woman's psychological descent, right? Or is it some kind of philosophical treatise that has deeper meaning, and everybody is a symbol and a representation of a 
ideal, the sexual revolution, you know, uh, the student uprising, the difference in generations and the progress of society that can alienate people. And it's like, yeah, maybe it's both. Maybe yeah. both are happening. Yeah. I mean, for me, the answer is obvious. She's about crazy lady. But what I'll say is that what I will say is that I know that uh, Muriel Spark is smart and that this book is smart and that smart people like it. And so I'm just going to assume that there is a deeper meaning to it. I'm not smart enough to even guess at what that deeper meaning is. So to me, it's just a like unhinged story that takes you into the mind of a woman who's just totally lost it. Did you read what I wrote in the notes? No, it's actually better if you don't. Yeah. No, it's better if you didn't. Okay. So I'm going to say right now, talk about not aging well. Uh This absolutely will not. And I've, I've gotten to the point in my life where it used to frustrate me. I remember when I first got into film and I would like go pick up film magazines. Mm Mm-hmm. At Barnes and Noble, and especially when a director that I liked was putting out a movie, you know, I'd look for them to to have a cover story on them and grab it and read it. I remember so quickly getting frustrated with some of my favorite directors and stuff because they couldn't seemingly answer a question directly. You know, every question was like, I would read their answer and I was like, "What are they answering? I don't understand." I'm coming to you for like answers on your work. And what I'm getting is like this like weird dance. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. What were you gonna say? I saw something recently. I can't, I just can't remember what it is, but it was along that same lines. And I'm definitely sympathetic to the mindset of like not answering questions because then it kind of, stops all discussion exactly so as a younger person i got really frustrated right by that now that i'm older i'm like i see why you do that yeah you don't throw an answer out there because it definitely won't age well Mm -hmm. and it ends the conversation it's not interesting you know so it's better for you to not answer the question or dance around it or talk about like instead of answering talk about your um inspiration or whatever which is always a boring answer yeah um, yeah, that's it's unsatisfying even now. It's, but now I have the at least hindsight to be like, yeah, well, you know, it, ultimately it would be it's like that instant gratification thing where it's like it would be great to have a f- definitive. definitive answer. But at the same time, that means like, well, we don't have to talk about this anymore. Exactly. <laughs> so with all that being said, here's my definitive okay. analysis. Um. And I'll just summarize it. But this okay. is just some ideas that I, that I threw down. Um, yeah, so, I mean, starting off, I kind of say, um, so there's a lot of repetition in this book. Mm-hmm. Phrases that are repeated, details that are repeated. Right. Her, um, her details are repeated. There are things that we don't know about her, but mm-hmm. there is a, like, twice she kind of details her face, how she looks, makes reference mm-hmm. to how she's not attractive. 
Yeah, there, she's got a type that she mentions a lot. We have no idea what the type is, but every guy that she interacts with is being like judged against judged this type. Judged against this type. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so there's a lot of repetition. One of the repetition is these days. Yeah. She repeats these days. Mrs. Friedke re- repeats these days. One of those talking past each other. Mm-hmm. There's like one passage where literally Lee says like these days, and then Mrs. Friedke is like these days, these days. Mm-hmm. And th- you don't think that they are communicating they're just like right. repeating yeah there's so, a, another character that likes to repeat exactly <laughs> um comments on fashion that the fashion is brought up a lot lisa's dress length how out of fashion she is oh right how yeah. the old she's an old style it's mm-hmm. way her skirt's way too long and all that um and so i would say that that she is you know out of time that she's She's not. She has not kept up with modernity. She's not a modern woman, mm-hmm. um, and time has passed her by. And if you look at the sexual revolution, there really is like a like a like a light speed, mm-hmm. you know, trajectory from like those. And I know that it's all marketing, but the marketing of the fifties to like the marketing of the even the late sixties, mm-hmm. where you're like, I can't believe like Brady Bunch then like bled right into. Like Easy Rider, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. Um, so I think that that is a theme that's going on. Um, she also steals other people's experiences and lives. Mm-hmm. So you know, my my take here, and this is purely me, but you know, I I I feel like it's justified in in my take, but probably not by Muriel Spark necessarily. But one of my biggest takes is like. It's a critique of the exploitation of the working class. Mm-hmm. You know, that you have a lady who has invested so much of her life and time into this job at an accounting firm, and she is working there until she literally breaks. Mm-hmm. She snaps, mm-hmm. loses it, and then they are immediately like, Okay, weirdo. Yeah. Like, see ya. Go, go on a vacation. Like, mm-hmm. and she has nobody, right? She doesn't have a boyfriend. She doesn't have a husband. Mm-hmm. She has literally devoted herself to this job, to this idea of her place in society. And what rewards did she get back from it? A mental breakdown. Mm-hmm. That's what she got. And then when she goes out into the world, she has no place in it. She doesn't understand it. She is out of step. She is not old, but she's probably, you know, past her quote unquote prime, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and she's clearly wealthy. She buys everything that she wants. All right. So, like, she has material wealth, but she doesn't have anything else. You know who I blame? <laughs> <laughs> who? The system. The man. That's right. Um, Talk to him. So, yeah. Around her, we see things happening. There are political coups. Fashion is advancing. Generational divides. Mm. She seems uninterested or or uh, not impacted by any of these. Um, even as the old lady is swept up, she still just... It all happens around her. Mm. You know what I mean? Um so, 
yeah, that that's basically my my take on some of it. And at the end, I this is kind of the question I, I left um, asking myself. Um, could this be a form of protest by by Lise? Someone who was subsumed by an uncaring system who finds herself at the end of her rope with nothing to hold on to. Mm-hmm. At the end, she says she does not fear sex, only the afterward of it, the mm-hmm. loneliness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She has been broken by the system and now finds herself outside of it all. The only thing left to do is die. But she can do that in her own way. She can leave an impression, be remembered. In some way, she could be a martyr for her cause. Mm-hmm. Does that hold any weight to you, seeing her as a martyr? Nope. Come on. Justin. <laughs> yeah, I don't see it. I mean, I, th- that's one thing that, so after I read it, I, 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 was, I was trying to like Google stuff, but I couldn't find anything that's really been written about it either. Yeah. So <clears throat> I don't know. I mean... I mean, look, it is what you make of it, right? Yeah, let, let, let me just really quick walk you through it. Okay. All right. You're wrong. Here's a lady uh-huh. who has a clear perspective on the world, on life. Does, but but I does she, though? She's playing it out for everybody around her, right? Yeah. These days, this is how people should, like, how... How she treats other people, Mm -hmm. right, is that entitlement where things should be a certain way. This glass is dirty. Go get me another glass. Mm -hmm. Um, Anything for my princess. (laughs) (laughs) She, she, She just strikes me as a martyr of modernity, you know? I guess post modernity has come. It's made everything before it irrelevant. Mm-hmm. It's progressed things too far, too fast. Instead of just drifting off into a lonely, silent, sad death, mm-hmm. uh, Lise decides to leave an impression. She gets this this clothing that makes her noticed. She doesn't seemingly care. That she's noticed negatively. She just wants to be noticed. Mm-hmm. She wants to leave an impact, which Muriel Spark makes a reference that for one of the people actually is like traumatized by what happened to, to Lise and her interaction with Lise. Mm-hmm. So Lise is like, and again, you see these little points in the story where it's like Lise felt like she checked off something that she made herself notice. And that was almost like that awareness was something that she felt accomplished in doing mm-hmm. for what purpose all to be killed, but she didn't want to do it quietly. She wanted to do it, you know, noticeably. All right. <laughs> she, she, <laughs> she's just, I, mean, I think one of the biggest problems for me is that <laughs> to me, there's no indication of like, 
like why she's having this breakdown. You know what I mean? It just starts. Because she works in an accounting office and she's in her late 30s. Yeah. And she's alone. No, she's in her late. I thought she was in her late 20s, right? And I, <clears throat> but, I like the idea of 30s. But I mean, even then, I, I don't know. I mean, that to me, that is so much like being brought to the table, which I agree with you on, but I don't see it in the book at all. Like, it just starts with her working. The, the, the office setting is like one line of the book. Mm-hmm. And then she's out. She's gone. <laughs> so, I don't know. I just don't see it. Like I said, to me, it just is a book about a crazy lady. Lise and Joan of Arc. That's what I'm saying. I don't, you know what? I don't know who Joan of Arc is. Bye-bye. 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 That's a perfect place to end it.